Morning Huddle with David Hurlbutt. Weekday mornings at 8. And welcome back, everybody. Morning Huddle. Mile High Sports Radio. AZ in for David this morning. He's on assignment. Buddy Andre and I will be getting together tomorrow. He took the reins Monday and Tuesday. I got you today, and I am joined by one of the greats of all time in the sport of men's tennis. Mats Vilander won seven major championships in his career, actually eight. He won seven singles championships, and he won Wimbledon, the doubles, in 1986 with his good buddy Joachim Nystrom, and he was there, as always, covering the tournament for Eurosport as he is uh, an international superstar, but he's back at his new home in beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho. Mats, welcome to the show. Great to have you back stateside where you belong. Andy, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on uh, your show. Yes, it's great to be back in in dear old Idaho. Um, and I've uh, been missing the mountains. I've been out since before the French Open, a couple of more weeks in Europe, and then, of course, I covered Wimbledon every day for two weeks, and it was uh, absolutely special again. We teased before we went to break, Matt, that really, even though there was a ban on Russian and Belarusian players, as fate would have it, this ended up working out really well for Russian tennis. Tell us why. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it's ironic, I guess. I don't know if it worked out well, but because of the uh, the guidance of the British government, of course, Wimbledon um, decided to not allow Russian and Belarusian players to compete. Um, and as a a byproduct of that, the Association of Tennis Professionals on the men's side and the WTA, Women's Tennis Association, both decided to pull all the ranking points uh, for Wimbledon. So, for example, in Novak Djokovic, who won it last year, uh, he would have won 2,000 ranking points, I believe it is. And then this year, he went and won it again, but only lost the 2,000 points to stay on the ranking for a calendar year or, or 12 months, I should say. So he, um, he went down in the rankings to, I think, outside the top five. And in the meantime, Daniil Medvedev, uh, who's Russian, uh, and of course no one um, uh, uh, should be blamed for where they're born, that's for sure, but somehow he ended up being ranked number one in the world after Wimbledon. So that was a bit ironic um, in a very serious way, of course. And then we had Elena Rybakina, who won on the women's side, and again, she is competing for Kazakhstan these days and has been for the last five years, but she was born in Russia, uh, spent her first 18 years in Russia, so believes she has a home in, uh, in Russia, her parents are there, and she went on and win, won the women's single. So, I mean, did it backfire? I think this whole uh, Russia invading Ukraine, obviously, is, a, is such a huge thing that anything else we do is is uh, next to completely irrelevant, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I guess in an ironic way, Daniil Medvedev became number one in the world, and then Rybakina won the Women's Championship. So, yeah, a bit weird. I don't think the players, in the end, really cared that much about ranking points if you go on and win Wimbledon. I mean, that's a major, and there's no asterisk attached to it because there's no ranking points. So, But, yes, I guess uh, it'll give uh, the ATP and the WTA a reason to sort of uh, re-look at what they did. Did it work? Did it have the effect that they were hoping for? And um, punishing all the other players 
by not having ranking points. So I'm, I'm not really sure. It's a too big a issue, obviously, Andy, to have a, an opinion about it. But uh, it was a bit of a weird weekend for sure. It, it got real weird with Nick Kyrgios, which it oftentimes does. We <laughs> we absolutely marvel at this guy's talent. We are, we enjoy his sense of humor. We cringe at some of his behavior. There's just so many different things that tug at so many different emotional strings with every tennis fan. But what I find interesting, Matt, is that he's being talked about both in and outside of the sport the way John McEnroe used to, in particular, during your heyday, playing alongside John and Bjorn and, and Yvonne Lendl and Jimmy Connors and all the greats that, that you played alongside. They, they bring... They bring attention to the sport, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way. I guess my question is, um, he doesn't have a coach, and you have dealt with the likes of Marat Safin, Robin Soderling, and other guys that were a little bit tough to tame, if you will. If you had an opportunity to, to work with this guy, would you even seize upon that opportunity, or would you just put your hands up in the air and go, yeah, that's, that's, that's outside of my realm of expertise? Well, I think Nick Kyrgios said it himself. He said he doesn't have a coach and he doesn't want to put that burden on somebody. Um, and so I can understand that. But um, I think if you have a Nick Kyrgios that competed in Wimbledon, where he, he, he literally competed for, for nearly every single point uh, throughout the whole championships. Uh, I mean, there was a handful of times when maybe he wasn't trying to win the point. But that happens to uh, a lot of players. And I would say most players. It's just that... Uh, most players that decide to not try necessarily win the points because they want to save energy, they do it in a, uh, uh, they, they hide it somehow. They play poker. They bluff their way through it. But with Nick, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. Okay, I don't care at the moment. But I have to say he did try. Now, the big difference between a John McEnroe and a Nick Curious is, um, is that John McEnroe tried on every single point. And when he did get angry uh, at the, uh, the referee or the chair umpires or himself, we all knew as competitors to him that he was going to come out and play better. Uh, and I believe that sometimes he brought it on himself because he needed to get fired up. So Nick Curious, I think he does it to himself. I think that he's a, it's not easy for him to control. Uh, obviously, not easy for anyone to control what thoughts come into your mind. But uh, I think most professional athletes can control your, your, um, your words a little bit, maybe better than, than others. So... Uh, for that reason, I think you can't really draw comparisons with John McEnroe. Where you can draw comparisons is that uh, the officials need to, they have rules, um, and they obviously have a, a guide to how you should behave, and they must probably should enforce that uh, a little bit more when uh, Nick Curious, um uses foul language uh, in public, and there's kids watching, and I think they need to enforce it. And, and sort of, Nick, you can't go this far. You've got to uh, keep your mouth uh, a little cleaner, if you may. Um, and that's it. So is it good for tennis? I, I said that it's good for tennis if there aren't uh, 10, 15, 20 of the same, um, the same kind of behavior uh, that Nick has in the top 100 or in the, in the main draw at Wimbledon. But one or two or three here and there, I mean, it does bring attention to the sport. People tune in that don't necessarily watch tennis normally. Um, they might, in, 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 uh, uh, in their own way, they might inspire some, their kids or somebody else to pick up a racket, then suddenly, there we go. Then maybe there's a new Roger Federer born or a new Nick Curious. So I think he took so many steps in the right direction during this Wimbledon that I'm not worried about him anymore. I think for him it's going to be uh, a little bit difficult to understand that once you have 
sort of dug a hole for yourself over the last six, seven years with certain behaviors, it's not, people are not that quick to forget. Um, forgive maybe, but to forget not. So I think that here's, here's a, a way to, to come back to be sort of looked upon as, as just a, a professional athlete that tries to hard out every single point. But, I mean, in the end, Andy, I think, yeah, I think it's good for tennis. The more people that watch it, the better. But at the same time, we do have, and I know you're very strong, you feel strong about the etiquette. What does this sport teach us as kids, as adults? There are rules to follow. Um, there are clothing rules to follow. Um, and, um, again, one or two here and there, I have no problem with it. But let's just hope that it doesn't... Um, Every kid that watched Nick Euros come out and, and break rackets and behave like he does, hopefully that, that's not going to be the case. But if they can do with the racket and the tennis ball that he does, wow, we're going to have a great sport moving forward. Matt's your next big assignment uh, outside of doing the podcast that we do for Tennis Channel, kickserveradio.com, of course, is the U.S. Open, which you'll be, of course, covering for Eurosport. And it's possible that we're going to go into that tournament with without any potentially of the big three. Novak Djokovic is, is going to be at the mercy of the United States uh, vaccine requirements, and Roger Federer won't be back before the fall. He's already said he'll come back a little bit later in the year when he comes back uh, and plays in Switzerland. And now we've got Nadal and his, uh, his abdominal injury, which the jury is still out on that. You had made mention that you thought he was going to try to give it a go to come back and play. But if none of the big three are at the U.S. Open, um, does that diminish the value of that tournament? And also, does that give the American players, who had six American men uh, in the, in, uh, among the seeds at Wimbledon, and then, of course, you've got the likes of Coco Goff and Amanda Anasimova on the ladies' side, but uh, certainly the, the, the um, you know, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal would have nothing to do with them, but does this give the men a fighting chance at perhaps a, a, a semifinal run or better at the U.S. Open? Yes to the question about the American players. I mean, yes, the, the tournament opens up big time uh, if you don't have uh, Rafa and Novak. I think Roger, we can put on ice for now. He hasn't been around for a couple of years. But, yeah, certainly uh, Rafa and Novak. But I don't think that – I mean, I've played a lot of majors, Andy, where uh, Jimmy Connors did not play the French Open or John McEnroe didn't play. Uh, yeah, I remember one year Ivan Landel didn't even play the French Open because he wanted to focus on, on uh, the grass courts and trying to win Wimbledon. Um, which unfortunately he ended up not doing, which is totally unfair. He's a great player and should have won it. But I don't think it matters. I think at the time uh, there, there's a risk that some uh, media and maybe some fans uh, go to that and say, oh, well, it's not the same thing without. But, but in the long run, um, for a Dominic team who won it a couple of years ago, uh, Novak got defaulted in his match against Pablo Carreño Busta. Rafa wasn't there. Roger, of course, didn't play. I don't think he diminished his victory at all. So I don't think so. And when, when we look up, uh, up history in our sport in, in 20, 30 years and we actually find out who won the most majors out of the big three, I don't think that makes any difference. But uh, as a tournament, when you're there, um, yeah, I'm sure there are some people that think like that. But it opens it up for new faces, and Americans have a good chance with Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, Raleigh Opelka, Francis Tiafo, Sebastian Corda, uh, uh, Brooksby, Jensen, Brooksby, um, or Brooksby, Jensen, I think that there's a good chance. John Isner even has a chance. So, uh, in a way, I mean, it's, it's refreshing to have new faces, and you know me, I always like new faces. Maybe it even opens it up for Nick Curious to, to stay focused and uh, give it give it the U.S. Open a shot. But uh, on the women's side, I mean, on the women's side, they're all, they're all there playing. It's just maybe 
apart from Iga Swantek, there really isn't a consistent sort of top three, four player in the world at the moment, and that's because of the depth of the game. So Coco Goff, Amanda Anisimova, uh, a lot of young American girls, that, um, or women, I should say, that have a, a, a chance suddenly. So I, I'm not going to go there for sure thinking anything along those lines. But I want to see new faces, and uh, the level in general gets better every five to ten years. And I think the new crop coming, they pushed Nova uh, in, um, in uh, Wimbledon. Yannick Sinner, two sets to love up. Uh, Stefano Sissipas, two sets to love up last year in the French Open final. So they're pushing. They're not quite there yet, but uh, they're, they're pushing from behind. And at some point, they will overtake them, but not uh, just yet. At least not uh, uh, in Novak and Rafa's eyes. Before I let you go, Matt, we're talking about all this crazy behavior, and of course, whenever we do, John McEnroe's name can't help but get mentioned. The craziest moment you ever had on the other side of the net from John McEnroe, and you guys had some epic battles, but was there ever a time where you were just over there shaking your head going, oh my God, this guy has gone <laughs> off the reservation? Well, he actually went off the reservation. I think the most famous or infamous one was at the Stockholm Open, and I'm sure if you watch tennis, he, everybody remembers how he smashed the, the drink jars right. uh, and glasses, and, and the liquid was flying everywhere. In, in fact, the king and the queen of Sweden, ironically, oh. were sitting uh, right behind him in, the, in, the, in our royal box at the, uh, at the Stockholm Open in our royal tennis hall, and they got all wet from the liquid. Oh, no. Took his bag and put it on his shoulder when he was done with his temper tantrum, and he started walking out. And the umpire said, "Mr. McEnroe, where are you going?" And he said, "Well, I'm defaulted, am I not?" And uh, he said, "No, actually not. You just got two warnings. So you're still in the match." And I was in the stands because I was in the finals, waiting for this semis to to be over between McEnroe and Anders Jarrett. Uh, and uh, he didn't get defaulted, and then he kicked my butt in the final. So I think, again, uh, John McEnroe, he, he, uh, he made sure that, uh, that uh, our rules were maybe followed or new rules were, were put in place. But let me also tell you that the first time John McEnroe won Wimbledon in 1981, he did not automatically become a member of the All England Club, which is a tradition. That. Every winner. He didn't the first year. And if we look at this year's event on the 100th uh, anniversary of the center court. Who was emceeing that event with uh, Roger Federer was celebrated, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, Rod Laver, Billie Jean King. Who was emceeing? John McEnroe. So Amazing. I think in many ways our game uh, taught John a little bit of a lesson on, on how to respect the game and respect the rules and anyone that's involved with it to the point where he's so celebrated around the world these days and he's huge and important for tennis. So Maybe it's a learning curve for someone like Nick Curious too, and hopefully our game can help him along in terms of um, how you are supposed to sort of are uh, expected to behave on a tennis court. Of course, everyone's different. He always says, "I'm me," and no one knows what I've gone through, and on and on. But yeah, uh, we just need to keep an eye on it for sure. Speaking of huge and important to our sport. Uh, no one is more so than the gentleman on the other end of the line, Mats Vlander. Mats, thanks so much for taking the time. Always a treat to do radio, podcast, be on the court, on the golf course, wherever it is. It's always a treat for me, and our listeners feel the same way. So thank you very much. Andy, always a pleasure to be with you, my friend. You have a, a good uh, rest of the show, and 
we will uh, speak to you guys soon. Sounds great. Appreciate it. All right, when we come back, we're going to get back to uh, a little bit of fantasy football homework, and then we're going to close out the show in style with Michael Spencer from Ford Sports. So don't go away. You're listening to The Morning Huddle on Mile High Sports. AZ in for David. And we got Michael Spencer coming up a little bit later, but some fantasy football first. Looking for adventure and whatever 